Father God, we admit this morning that uh, every change is usually difficult. Most of us would uh, simply prefer uh, to uh, maintain status quo because it's just more comfortable. And so, Father, as we grapple with and as we try to understand uh, what it is you are saying to us as a congregation and to each one of us individually as to how we ought to respond and react and, and how we ought to behave ourselves in the weeks and months that lie ahead. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would penetrate our hearts and help us to understand exactly what it is you desire and that we would be willing to respond in a godly way. So, Father... Uh, bless us and make this word of yours penetrate our hearts and bring us closer to yourself and closer to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I do hope that Pastor Schaefer's message last week helped not only to explain but take away the sting or the, the shock that you may have initially felt when he began with his resignation. That's, uh, it, I think it was genius that he Uh, did it in that order because it allowed you, hopefully, to process some of what's going on here behind the scenes. And so let me say on behalf of the elders uh, that uh, uh, we fully endorse and support uh, his decision because we recognize this was not an arbitrary decision. It was rather his obedience of stepping into a new role for which we believe he is eminently well qualified, and uh, so we, we, we have no problem supporting that and saying, yeah, God bless you. And we want to be praying for Pastor Schaefer and Jeannie because this is also a rather radical adjustment for them in the, in the weeks and months to come. So we are absolutely convinced that his resignation did not surprise Jesus. Uh, because he knew about it before it happened. Uh, We are also uh, absolutely convinced and uh, endorse the fact that God is still on his throne and he is still in control. So with this in mind, let's look very quickly at what uh, the Apostle Paul is saying here to this church in Ephesus. Uh, As I prepared for today, we had already a long time ago decided I would be filling in while Pastor Schaefer was away today, but uh, the, the message, the theme of the message just happened since uh, the resignation. And so I was absolutely astounded when I read through this passage. Uh, this is part of a letter. Uh, I said, wow, how this fits our situation. It was written to a local congregation. They were struggling with some issues. We may be struggling with some issues. And so let's just allow God's truth to wash over us. There's two ways of preaching from the, from the word. You can do what Pastor Schaefer is so good at, you know, take one verse and unpack it and find all the different shades and nuances of what goes into it through other parallel scriptures and so on, and in the context historically and biblically. Or you can take a whole passage of scripture and let it just wash over you because it was written as a letter. And that's how it was first read. They didn't try to dissect it. They just simply wanted to understand what is Paul saying and how does it apply. So let's do that. The first thing that uh, I find here is that he is giving instruction how we as individuals and as a faith community must focus on the unity and the maturity of the body of Christ. Because, you see, this is not our church. This is God's church. 
And we are simply together, the body of the local congregation. Some of us are actually members of the church. Some of us have been adherents and friends of the church for a long time. But now is a good time to say, what is my relationship to this body? How much do I feel connected and belong to who we are? And he says we need to, first of all, focus on the fact that by God's grace, every one of us need to choose to live a godly life. This is what he's saying in verses 1 to 3. As a prisoner from, from the Lord, or for the Lord, and I'm reading from the New International Version, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you received. The fact is God has blessed us by calling us into his forever family, and he expects us to represent him well to the world. As parents, we're always concerned uh, when our kids are publicly active anywhere that they'll not embarrass us. You know, I have have three sons. They all ride motorcycle again. And I thought I raised uh, civilized boys, but two of them... (laughs) Two of them ride Harleys. <laughs> so I said, well, what about BMW do, do you not understand? <laughs> but he says, live a life worthy of the calling which you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Those are the hallmarks of Christian behavior. This is what he expects from the body of Christ. And then verse 3 could be the theme for the next number of months. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We don't produce the unity. But our job is to maintain the unity which the Holy Spirit wants to create in the body of Christ. So let's embrace that, folks. Let's focus on all that we have in common in Christ. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You see, the unity which we have is because God in himself, from the very beginning of the Bible, the very first sentence we read, in the beginning God. That's how it all began. Too bad the rest of the world doesn't seem to understand that or appreciate that. But the word God is the word Elohim. And Elohim is a plural term. So God from the very beginning was a plurality. It was only eventually revealed and there's no scripture whatsoever that talks about the trinity or the triunity of God using that particular theological term. But throughout Scripture, we understand God Father, God Son, God Holy Spirit being a triune God who was at harmony and is and always will be at harmony with himself. There's never any occasion where the Father will say one thing and the Son will say, Yabat. As a father, I've heard that an awful lot especially when the boys were teenagers. That never ever occurs with God because from the beginning there's unity of thought and plan and, 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 and we in the New Testament understand that the agent of creation, even though it says in the beginning God, 
the agent was Jesus. And he was the word, the living word. By him all things consist, the Apostle John says. And so there's one, one body, one spirit, one God and Father, one Lord, one faith. All of these things that we have in common. What we have in common is far greater than what divides us on the human level. Let's focus on that, folks. We also need to recognize God's grace gifts because he goes on in verse 7 to say, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ, as the Messiah apportioned it. This is why it says when he ascended on high, he led captives uh, and gave gifts to men, which means he gave gifts to his people. Now, if there's any passage here that needs a little explaining, uh, because most of it is self-evident and self-explanatory, but there's, there's this sense here that when, when, when uh, Paul says, uh, this is why it says, which means it was written earlier, and actually verse 8 is a quotation from Psalm 68 verse uh, 18, uh, which Paul uses in a somewhat unusual way. Now, when we, when we interpret Scripture, we don't just randomly choose what does this mean and how does this uh, need to be interpreted. There, there's a discipline called hermeneutics. And the discipline of hermeneutics has to do with carefully dissecting and, and interpreting the Word of God in its context and according to its, its linguistic and spiritual meaning. Now, Paul seems to depart from that because he is quoting Psalm 68, verse 18, which originally referred to God's triumphal ascent to the throne of the temple of Jerusalem, which was a symbol of of the heavenly throne. But Paul applies it here to the ascension of Christ. So he's using an Old Testament text, and he says, this is what it says there, but this is what it means in our context today. Um, so he also states that the, the, the psalmist had said that God received gifts from men when he ascended to the temple. Uh, Paul states Christ gave gifts to men. So there's a difference between from or to uh, receiving or giving. And uh, uh, was Paul wrong? That he, did he not, not understand the Old Testament scriptures? I don't think any of that would be true. It seems what he did, he followed a rabbinic interpretation scheme which was popular in his day. And so using a familiar passage, he would turn it on its head in order to make a special point. What he is really talking about isn't what was written in in Psalm uh, 68. What he's talking about is grace gifts. The fact that God gives gifts to the church. And there's two different kinds. There's spiritual gifts which he gives to each individual. I don't believe that there's a single child of God here this morning who does not have at least one spiritual gift. Most of us have a whole cluster of gifts. And the gift mix is, makes us, is what makes us who we are. See, Pastor Schaefer's gifts are quite different from my gifts. But we both function within the body of Christ. And your gifts may be quite different from your neighbors or your spouse or your brothers or your sisters. 
but together we make up a body that has all the gifts necessary to carry out the ministry that God expects from this body. That's how it works. And so Paul wasn't wrong. He's simply making a special point by make, changing those prepositions and, and the direction in which they move. Uh, the fact is we can never outgive God. Now, Paul also has an interesting perspective because uh, when he talks about this whole matter of ascension and descension in verse 9, he says, what does it mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? This is not a reference to Jesus uh, dying and going down to Hades or the nether parts of the earth. That's not what this teaches. He's He's talking about the one who descended from heaven to earth and reascended up to heaven after his work on Calvary was completed. That's the real meaning here. I know there's been speculation by different biblical scholars along that line, but this is not what it teaches. It's not about hell. It's about incarnation and ascension of our Savior. And so he says, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the entire universe, which simply means Christ is supreme in the universe. He is the Lord of all. And then he talks about verse 11 to 12, the source of all grace gifts, which is Christ himself. It was he, the same one who ascended into heaven, who stands above all things, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, now uh, some to be pastors and teachers. Now, Gert misspoke when he said some prisoners. Unfortunately, there are some pastors who are in prison, uh, even in this day in which we live. And we need to be praying for these brethren who are suffering for the Lord's sake uh, and for speaking the truth. So it's not that far-fetched. But uh, he is saying it was God who gives those. So God has the right to give them to the church. He also has the right to remove them from the church. And that's what's happening at this particular point as we go through this particular transitional period as a congregation. But why does he give these pastors and teachers and all of these gifted men or gifted individuals? It is to prepare, to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's the purpose. It's never just so that we're pleased and we're happy with what we're getting, but What is the end result? What is God seeking to accomplish in it all? The purpose of these gifts are the equipping of the saints to build up the body of Christ until we all, every one of us, reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the goal of Uh, This growth is maturity because in verse 14 he says this is what it looks like. When we become fully mature, when we become the kind of people God desires for us in unity of the faith, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth. Uh, The King James Version said to and fro uh, by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning of, and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. The truth is, if you're not anchored in Scripture, if your faith does not rest on God's unchanging word, 
then you can be bowled over by any logical argument, by, by any uh, things that come out of the spirit of this age. And it is sad, brothers and sisters, that at the current time in which we live, there are all kinds of formerly prominent evangelical pastors and leaders who are compromising the faith by accepting what ungodly philosophers and politicians are pushing our way. And they're trying to make the church kind of a free-for-all. We have so emphasized the love of God, and we sing about it, we rejoice in it, to the exclusion of the fact that God is a righteous, holy God. And he has never changed his mind about sin. So how dare we meddle with that? One of my heart's prayers is that God will give us a new pastor who is not necessarily a carbon copy of Schaefer, as much as I love him, but who is a godly person as well and equally as committed to preaching the truth of God's word. Because if you take that away, we may as well all go home and just enjoy a pleasant Sunday afternoon. It's all about God. It's all about his will. It's all about his word. It's all about what he wishes to accomplish in and through us. So the goal is maturity is, is being able to overcome the things, and instead, verses 15 and 16, uh, the desired end goal is Christ-likeness. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, from Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each Part does its work. Did you get that? You see, it all flows from Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. But it also hinges on our willingness, one by one, everyone who is a believer, each one who has received the gift of grace of God, contributing according to their ability to their giftedness, to the well-being of the entire body. That's how God wants to work. So this isn't about the elders. It's not about the ministry council. It's not about uh, people who are professionally and vocationally pastors and teachers. It's all about us working together, each one according to our giftedness, and to whom much is given Of him, much shall be required. God will hold us responsible. Just like in in stewardship, he doesn't expect us to give what we don't have. But out of what he has entrusted to us, he wants us to be faithful to give proportionately back to the cause of the kingdom of God. So now, having said this from this passage, and we could end the message right here. And that would probably please a number of us. 
But I do want to see, help us see that there is a broader range. This isn't the only thing Paul ever said. And it's not the only place where it's mentioned. Uh, and what I have in mind is to walk us very quickly just reading some scriptures, eclectic scriptures. It's by no means exhaustive. Uh, there's much, much more. But as individual believers, we all must be committed to intentional godly living in order to move forward together. And this is what it looks like. We need to, first of all, grow as believers. Peter says in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We, we sang about amazing grace and the fact that God bestowed it upon us. Now he says you need to grow in that grace. And spiritual growth is a slow process. It's one day at a time, one step at a time, relying on God's grace for the journey. We need to daily live in God's grace. Therefore, he says in Romans chapter 5, this is the Apostle Paul, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We didn't invent it. We didn't maybe even desire it. I always used to say, you know, I found God at, at, at a certain point in my life. No, he found me. I wasn't looking, but he was, and I'm, I'm praising for it. Uh, we also need to learn to share in group life, which uh, uh, the Greek term for that, koinonia, uh, was used a great deal several years ago. It's kind of uh, come out of disuse at this point again. But this is what Hebrews tells us in chapter 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So we should actually be almost competing and, and, and pushing each other and, and encouraging each other forward in this. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And folks, we're moving towards the end time. When it will come? That's God's decision. But we're living in that age where it seems there's a general falling away, and we need to encourage, we need to uh, spur each other on in the right direction. There's also this matter of serving with our gifts. Each one, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, uh, should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. This is from the NIV. This is, the, the Greek word for that is diakonia, uh, serving, doing what God has called us to do and equipped us to do. And, and, and the same verse also tells us that we need to become better stewards because he says, as each, and this is now from the New American Standard Version, same verse, as each one has received a special gift employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So let's encourage one another to be responsible participants in church life, which means we, we protect the unity of our church. Uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification, or as it is expressed in the uh, J.B. Phillips translation, let us concentrate on the things which make for harmony 
and the growth of our fellowship together. So we have, a, we have a job to do in this transition period, and perhaps now more than ever we need to pull together, work together. We need to act in love towards other members, have sincere love for, each, uh, for other believers, love one another earnestly with all your heart. The testimony of the early church was, Behold how they love one another. May that be the testimony of Hawkwood Baptist Church going forward. And part of that means that we don't say things negative or gossipy to other people about each other. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building for building others up according to their needs. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, later in the same chapter. And we need to learn to follow the leaders, obey your leaders, and submit to their authority, not because they're on a power trip, because you can only lead when people are willing to follow. And and so he goes on to say, uh, to keep watch over you as men who must give an account Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would not be an advantage to you. As one of the elders, I need to tell you honestly that every elders' meeting we have, we spend usually at least an hour in prayer for the church, for direction, for wisdom, for individual needs that we're aware of, and whether those are people who have illness or people who are in financial need or people who have relational issues. This is not gossiping. This is not telling God something he doesn't already know. But it is our heart's desire as elders to move this church forward on our knees, uh, not through some kind of mandate from above. Let's share in the responsibility of the church as we go forward. Just a few more quick thoughts here. Praying daily for our church. We always thank God for you and pray for you constantly. We never forget your loving deeds as we talk to our God and Father about you. This is from the Living Bible in First Thessalonians. And by inviting unchurched friends or missing members you know, it's difficult for the elders always to be aware of everybody who's kind of dropping to the ex- extremities of the church. Uh, Grace and I often come home, and I, Pastor Schaefer and Jeannie always do that. Uh, we, we come home after a Sunday service, we say, who did we miss today? And if we miss someone, we try to get in touch and find out, is there a problem? Is there a need? What can we pray for? How can we help? Because as a fellowship, as a family of God... We need each other, and uh, it's only as strong, uh, any chain is only as strong as the weakest link in that chain. So let's be in prayer for each other. Let's invite each other. Let's warmly welcome those who visit. So warmly welcome each other into the church, just as Christ has warmly welcomed you. Then God will be glorified. This isn't about numbers. This is about glorifying God. And... We need to develop in the process a servant heart. A servant heart means that each of you should look not only to your own interests. As a pastor, when we had to make some changes sometimes in the past, I had people come to me and they were very upset because it it went cross and, and, 
uh, their particular interests. And I said, you know, I hear what you're saying, and I want you to know I take it seriously. But please understand, while you see this slice of our church life, as a pastor, I see this. And whatever decisions we make, it may not suit you, but if that is better for all these people, then it certainly needs to be considered, right? So let's, let's take a broader view. Let's see what will work best for the whole body of our fellowship here together. And uh, uh, in the process, not only look at your own interests, but also on the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then he tells us that he was willing to go to the cross, to the extreme, not because it was pleasant for him, to be sure, but because it was the only way to save a lost humanity from their sin. You can't do any of those things unless you also attend faithfully. Let us not give up meeting together, Hebrews said, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. Here it is again. A simple phone call. Missed you. Grace and I didn't make it to the Triennial Conference because we had agreed to be here today so I could preach. I got an, uh, a, a message from a good friend of mine, also a pastor, who says, Sig, you and Grace are being missed. As well, it's nice to be missed. Well, here's the reason why. And then I explained to him. So uh, let us not give up meeting together, but let's encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And I end up again with saying, uh, let's learn to live a godly life. Whatever happens, and this is out of the uh, J.B. Phillips translation from Philippians chapter 1, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, make sure that your everyday life is worthy of the gospel. Just two more quick things, and then we wrap up here. Part of that is also learning to give regularly. Each one of you, on the first day of the week, should set aside a specific sum of money in proportion to what you have earned and use it for the offering. The offering is not just to pay the pastor's salary. The offering is to keep the building functioning, but much more important than that, a large portion of our offerings go to missions overseas and around the world. And the work of God, even though God could do it without us, he gives us the privilege of being partners with him in in extending uh, what he has entrusted to us to him. And by giving generously the tithe of everything, produce, livestock, well, most of us are not farmers, but it all belongs to the Lord, and and it is holy to the Lord. The entire tithe, every tenth, will be holy to the Lord. That goes all the way back to the law giving back in the book of Leviticus. So let me wrap up. Always when I preach, there is a, so what? What does all of this mean? How does this apply? Well, we face the challenges of an uncertain future. And so we need to increase our God dependence. We can't do it by ourselves. I've seen and heard some comments saying, we're so glad Pastor Sig is on the elder's board because he has a lot of experience. 
Yes, I do. I have been an area minister. I've been a pastor. I've walked lots of churches through the process. But you know what? If you're depending on me, you're in trouble. I have to depend on God. We together have to focus on him. We need to be dependent on him. And that means prayer. That means uh, living out the Christian life in a way that makes a difference in this world. We do that by reaffirming and practicing our membership covenant. That was not written just to keep people in line. It's to help us understand this is what we together said we believe God wants us to be and to do. By trusting the Lord to guide us through the process of pastoral search. And I have no way of knowing if it's going to be a long process or a shorter process. When Pastor Schaefer came, we didn't actually try out any other pastors. We didn't, but God had his hand in it. And, and, and so that, that was a fairly smooth transition from my in, interim ministry to, to his but the point is, whatever time it takes, we, we need to allow God to let it. And we need to bathe it in believing prayer, that whole process. So the challenge for us, and I'm going to mention five things here, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and quietly pray. It won't be on the screen Quietly pray for each of these five things as we close our service. Let's pray for a climate of mutual love and reconciliation. Because if there's anything that's bothering you at this point, now is a good time to deal with that and to allow God to wash it away. Let's also pray for our family life ministries as a church and for greater intergenerational relationships. The two worship services have not helped us in that respect, even though that it's been good. But we need to somehow lay this out before the Lord and say, Lord, give us some new directions for the future. Number three, I have thoroughly enjoyed our worship experience this morning, but we need to pray that our public worship services and our small group ministries in the church will be enhanced to be as encompassing and as blessed as they possibly can be. Number four, based on all the things that the scripture has told us this morning, pray for additional volunteers. We ended the fiscal year with a short shortage in directors of ministry. Let's pray that God will raise up from among us individuals who will serve in those capacities so that none of those ministries will suffer in the future. And also pray for wisdom for the composition of our pastoral search committee because they are tasked with a very important responsibility. And then number five, pray for stronger community outreach, which isn't just what we officially do as a church, but what we individually do 
in relationship to the people who are next to us in our community.